Yesterday, we were in, in this room, we had our leadership summit was on prayer. And I want to tell you, no exaggeration, it was over the top. Some of you were here. What the Lord did yesterday among us, we, we were going through what prayer is and all those kinds of things from 10 to, actually we started our prayer meeting at 8. So all day yesterday, we were just seeking the Lord together for our church and for our own lives, that we need to be praying people and all those kinds of things. So it was so rich yesterday. I sense the Lord still lingering, and I hope he continues to linger, amen, among us. And one of the things that I think, uh, I don't think I know, the Holy Spirit was ministering to us as we were waiting on him. There are a lot of people that were, getting, that, that were wanting to get back in the race. And I want to say to you, if that's maybe you, you weren't here yesterday, but you, you just sense kind of like I'm on the sidelines, I'm not, I don't know what I'm, let me say the Lord is ready to put you back in the race. Just get back to that line with him. He wants to do that for all of us. We have our, our times when we need to sort of be in the dugout. <laughs> sometimes we're on deck, sometimes we're up about whatever it is. Know this, that God is for you, not against you. And he wants to strengthen you and help you. And one of the things that we prayed, we prayed individually for everyone that came, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul said that in Ephesians 5.18. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that means it's, a, it's in the present continuous tense in the Greek language, which means we need that all the time. So what, call it what you want, and different circles call it different than the baptism, the filling, whatever. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to do anything, in fact, we watched a video yesterday from a guy named Owens, and he said, you know, the preacher can prepare and all that stuff, but he doesn't have enough. <laughs> the word, whatever, whatever we're doing without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's why Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until the this Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that was the birth of the church. We're looking at the book of Acts. All through the book of Acts, we're going to see, in fact, even in our chapter 10 today, we're going to see the Holy Spirit falling upon them. We need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And how do we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit? A, B, C. We ask up in prayer. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We believe in the promise so you're not working, it's something that we need, God's provided for us, so we ask up in prayer, we believe in the promise that God said if we ask, he will do these things, and then we carry on in the power. So when I ask the Lord to fill me with his Holy Spirit, I carry on. So for you who might be feeling that, who weren't here yesterday, and you feel, I just want to get back in the race, know this, you ask up in prayer, you believe in the promise, and then get back on the line, and the Holy Spirit's going to help you and, and, and further you along. The devil... Our adversary is continuously bombarding us with all our inadequacies, all the things of our weaknesses, continuously. He's bringing those thoughts and saying, well, and, and he, can really, he can really pile it on, can he? <laughs> How many of you know he can pile it on? The devil's good at piling it on. So I've done this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, sometimes you just feel like the Lord says, you know, you've just failed me so many times, I'm done with you. That is not the Lord. What the Lord is saying is, you need me, and I want to be with you. In prayer, whatever it is. In fact, one of the stories that I love, it's this little pamphlet called uh, My Heart, God's Home. It was written by a man, and, he, and in there, he likens his relationship with the Lord to, his, to him inviting him into his home. And so he gets saved, the Lord moves in, and he's just really enjoying fellowship with the Lord. He meets the Lord every morning in his little den down at the bottom of the stairs, and every morning he goes in and meets with him, and they have this great fellowship. But then he gets busy, so once in a while he can say, hey, Lord, I, I got to get to work. So he, misses, he passes by the den, he goes to work, and pretty soon he's never going in the den in the morning. And finally he realizes, I, I just so miss the fellowship that I have with God in the morning. So he goes in one morning with his head hung low, and he goes, you know, I've really missed 
um, my time with you. And he wrote in there, he said, I was surprised to hear the Lord say, I missed it too. God wants to spend time with us. He wants to help us. So that was a little preface to, (laughs) I hope and pray for us as believers that we understand we need the power of the Holy Spirit and we have a God who's for us and not against us. He, who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. Furthermore, is also risen, as even see at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. He's not condemning us. God's not condemning us. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. God's not bringing charges against us anymore. He put all of our charges on his son when he died on the cross. So, can I hear an amen? Let's, let's get back in the race. Understanding God wants us back on that line, whatever it is, and start out. And forgetting those things that are behind. That's what Paul said. Forgetting those things are behind. I'm pressing forward. And we need form, forward momentum, which comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're in Acts 10. And I'm going to have you just stay seated because I'm going to go through the chapter. But I want to begin with So Acts chapter 10, we're going to talk about God shows no partiality, zero partiality with God. We're going to look at that this morning. A very important part of this whole idea of seeking and saving. So the first point, every time in all these 10 studies is that our God is a seeking and saving God. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call the sinners to repentance. God's called us to repentance, and many of us have received Christ. If you're here this morning, you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, at the end of every study we, we have, I'm going, to give you an, uh, I'm going to do a Jesus call. We're not calling you to an altar. We're not calling you to a table. Jesus is calling you to himself to save your life. And that's what he wants to do. And if that's you this morning, you're here and you'd like, we're going to give you an opportunity for you to do that at the end. But God is a seeking and saving God. He calls us to himself. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to receive from him eternal life. He fills us with his spirit. And we, then we carry on in that power we just talked about. So we looked at hearing and responding to God. This section, these 10 chapters, 9 through 18, seeking and saving souls. So God is a seeking, a, a seeking and saving God. Fantastic. That's foundational. We are not called to save people. God saves people. The Holy Spirit convicts people. So we talk about the gospel itself. We need to say it. We need to pray it, and we need to stay at it. Say it, pray it, and stay at it. Now, I, I know that sometimes this can be, can, 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 and I, I got an email that, that reminded me of this, that this can become a weight. I don't want to ever put a weight on any of you in how that happens for you. I do know this, that God has called us to preach the gospel. And we have desires in our hearts to do what God's called us to do. That's a, that's a given, is it not? But there are areas for us where God is working. So I say, say it, pray it, and stay at it. However he's going to draw, use your life to preach the gospel. Someone said, preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Our lives are to be lights and salt, preserving, penetrating, exposing. Our lives are to be that for people. How the Lord does that in each of our lives. You, you might look at that, well, I need to go out into the streets and preach the gospel. Hold on a second. God said, go and preach the gospel to every creature. How is that going to happen in your life? And if we're wrestling with these things in our minds, 
God is not putting on us a yoke that we can't bear. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in wisdom. He says, you take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So what I say in this area of whatever it might be, but particularly preaching the gospel, because I know it's not easy. And what does it look like? And how does that work for me? Well, it's on our hearts to do that because I know as believers, it's on our hearts to obey the Lord, is it not? To preach the gospel, say it, pray it, stay at it. But how the Lord brings that about and how he uses us is so different. There are those that are called as as evangelists who preach the gospel, and, and that's an office even in the church. There are those that, we're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to be evangelists, to be living our lives in such a way that it shines. There's something different. People see it. There's a preserving uh, element about our lives where we're, we're engaged in the culture, and the salt of our, of our lives is preserving some. I, I love it when I hear that, in fact, just this morning, someone's talking to me. They're at, they're at their job. They find out you're a Christian. All of a sudden, they stop swearing as much as they used to swear. I mean, there's something that happens. That's light. That's salt. However it's happening for you, please, hear my heart. God is not putting on you a, a, a yoke of bondage. What he's given to you is a heart for him. And allow him through prayer. Allow him through waiting to, to direct you in how your life is going to be used. And I believe with all my heart that when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised at just how much God used our lives. Is touching people's lives because we have the Holy Spirit and he can work in and through us. So seeking, we, have, we have a seeking and saving God. Because our God is a seeking and saving God who saved us, he saved us for the greatest commission a human being will ever experience. And that is as his ambassadors in this world, we're going out into a foreign world and bringing our little world, which is the kingdom of God, into this world. And that's what we're, we're called, seeking and saving. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers. Now, may I remind you, when you pray that, you are that. Pray the Lord, send out laborers. Who are the laborers? We're the laborers. The harvest is plentiful. So as we pray that, God's saying, okay, now you're that. <laughs> Let's see, how can I use you today? How can I use you this week? If one preaches the Bible biblically, as I am today, one cannot help preaching the gospel all the time because that is what the Bible is. It's the gospel. It's God's plan of redemption, his love letter to all of us. So again, at the close of the message, I'm going to give a Jesus call for anyone who, who is here today listening, and you need to get right with the Lord. We're saying, we're pleading with you as the Holy God would plead through us. Be reconciled to God. It's the most fantastic, most amazing thing that you'll ever experience. It's like, it is being born again. So God shows no partiality. Look at verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Romans 2.11, for there is no partiality with God, and that is in the context in salvation. God does not estimate. He does not approximate. He does not guesstimate about anyone. The very hairs of your head are numbered. He knows you perfectly and intimately, as he does all. In fact, Psalm 147 says, stars are not only numbered, but they're all named by God. God's not guesstimating. He's not looking and saying, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. He knows all of that. First Samuel, as Samuel's going to look for the next king, God says, I want you to go to the house of Jesse, and I want you to anoint one of his sons. What happens? You know well. So there is, Jesse brings his sons out. The first one's tall and handsome. 
And he says, man, that's got to be the guy. And God said to him, hold on a second. Don't look on outward appearance. That's what man does. I look at the heart. And he said of David, who wasn't even in, on Jesse's radar, he's not even one of the ones that got, he's, he's David, he's a man after my own heart. God does not look at the outward appearance. When you talk about prejudice, you talk about partiality, it's all these outward surmisings of what, what's, what it's all about. So God has commanded the same from his people. In Exodus 23, you shall show no partiality to the poor man. Deuteronomy 1.17, you shall show no partiality in judgment. Deuteronomy 16.19, you shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. Here's one, which is connected to this and often in the scriptures. Nor take a bribe to sort of change what you know you should be doing or how you should be viewing things, or how you should be judging things. James chapter 2 is a key passage in this whole area of partiality. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read through it. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. It has nothing to do with our faith. This should be not a part of our faith. Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he adds this, the Lord of glory, because it just wipes out the glory of God, that he is an impartial God with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, picture it, please, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. There's the contrast. This guy's got his best suit on. He's got gold hanging all over him. He walks in. And here comes a man in tatters. He has a little body odor. That's what he's saying. But he didn't say the body odor, but. And you pay attention. That's the first thing. You pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. Man, we got, we got just a spot for you. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit under my footstool. Now, this may not happen actually, but really the reality is it happens in our hearts very easily. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and listen, and become judges with evil thoughts? No, it's not good. Listen, he says, my beloved, listen. Has God not chosen the poor of this world rich in faith to become heirs of the kingdom which he has promised. We are all poverty-stricken and bankrupt spiritually. That's the deal. We're all in ragged rags as far as our righteousness. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Yes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what God sees. But you have dishonored the poor man. God would honor him. Do not the rich, it's interesting, do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? Now, just think about that a moment. They don't even like us. 
They hate Christians. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, what is that? You shall love your neighbor at yourself. You do well. It's loving our neighbor. But if you show partiality, here it is, very clear. And James is very clear. (laughs) He's the guy that says it like it is. He says, what, what verse am I on here? Thank you. If you show partiality, you commit sin. There it is. You commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You've just crossed the line. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. When you get a traffic ticket, what do they say? You broke the law. Now, did you break all the laws? No, you broke the law of speeding, which I never do, but some of you do. (laughs) And you broke the law. And it doesn't matter what happens. When you see the lights come on, you know it. God's saying, hey, the lights are on. You're showing partiality. You just broke the law. You're sinned. And you're guilty of all before God. It doesn't matter because he says, for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. Now, if you, if you commit adultery but you don't murder, then you're still a transgressor. You break one law, you're guilty of all of those things. Now, look at verse 12. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. In other words, we're going to be judged. So when we're speaking, when we're looking at people, when we're going about our surmise, make sure you understand that how God sees them is very different than how I see them, and God wants me to treat people as a believer without partiality. In fact, he wants me to honor the lowly. He wants me to esteem them no differently than I would esteem someone that's got the nice suit and the gold rings. Now, that is difficult. Now, notice what he says. For judgment is without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The gospel is the triumphant mercy of God in every one of our lives. None of us has been saved except by the mercy of God. That's how we're to be operating. We're to be merciful and merciful people. It's not our riches, our appearance, our status, or our pedigree. It is one thing and one thing only, the mercy of God, and without the mercy of God for every one of us, it's sure judgment. The gospel knows no boundaries of race, religion, creed, or culture. All are saved because God is merciful. Except for your mercies, we'd be consumed. It's wonderful. God wants us to be merciful. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, I'll tell you, I hate those lists that tell me what I was like as a sinner. That's what we were once. And all those things were true. Our hearts were so corrupted by sin. We were once these things. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared... Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. It's his mercy. See, that's the antidote, if you will, to partiality and prejudice. It's understanding God has been merciful to us. We were saved by his mercy, and so is everyone else. And so we understand that we are bankrupt and needing mercy. God has given that to us in the gospel. He saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit 
whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Mercy to grace to eternal life to the heirs of the kingdom. Why, why is that? Because God sent Jesus and gave us a gospel that is true and real and powerful and life-changing. How we see people. How we understand God sees us now through Christ. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation. We could put the word in there, two words. He is the mercy seat for us. And not only for us, but also for the whole world. We meet God at the mercy seat, and that is Christ. That's where we meet him. That our sin has been covered by his blood. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the mercy seat for us. God always intended to make a way by which every person who will ever live can have a personal relationship with him through faith in his gospel. Everyone. No one different. The Jews were greatly mistaken in thinking that they were God's only special people. Special, yes, but only no. Through, Jew, through, the, through Israel, God was going to bring a savior. They were to be the light, just as the church to be the light and light, the light and salt. They were to be that light into the world. God said, through you, I'm going to bless the world. And he did it through Christ. But they got this idea that, oh, no, we're, 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 gonna, we're Jews. We're not Gentiles. We're not all these other, you know, mutts. We're the real, pet, we're the real deal. Jesus died on the cross. Not only to end the separation that sin caused between God and us, but to end the separation that, that happens between each of us. That's what he came for. So here in chapter 10, Luke tells of the gospel crossing the racial, cultural, and religious barriers between Jew and Gentile. Huge. There are only two. There's Jew and Gentile. A barrier that had existed since the time of Moses. Hundreds of years. There is this explosive, groundbreaking, pioneering event that we're looking at in chapter 10. Completely new territory for these Jewish men, Jewish nation. You know, Joshua, remember Joshua? God said, go into the promised land, and what I want you to do with Jericho is I just want you to walk around it. And so there they go the first day, not saying anything, they're just walking around Jericho. Second day, walking around Jericho. Third day, walking around Jericho. Fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, walking around Jericho one time. Seventh day, seven times around. And when you're done, blow the horn. What happened? And the walls came tumbling down. That's what happened. This, this event took place. And all they were doing was walking. What happened here is just as miraculous. In a 30-mile walk, of Peter to Cornelius' house, God brought down the walls between the Jews and Gentiles that had existed for hundreds of years. Peter went, and God did that. And through his divinely directed from the Lord, coming to Cornelius' house, God opened the door in the Jewish understanding of the gospel to the Gentiles. God wants to reach all people with the gospel. So how does that happen? How can we deal with our partiality? I'm going to give you four things this morning, very simple as an outline, and just talk a little bit about each one. And the first thing I see here is care about people. Just care about people. 
You want to break down those partiality things in your heart, the prejudices? Cornelius is an amazing man. When you read about him, not many verses, but he's amazing. Look at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. He is truly an extraordinary human being. I want to talk about him just a little bit. First of all, he's Italian. How many of you are Italian here? He's not Jewish. He is a Roman soldier who is hated by the Jews. And I found out that to be a soldier, you have to be five foot eight in height. I said, I would have missed the draft. That's great. <laughs> he was a centurion and, in fact, a high-ranking uh, commander in the Roman army. A lot of things that we could go to. I'll just say as simple as this. He was probably about 30 years, at least 30 years old. It took 12 to 16 years of military service before you could get to that centurion rank. Within the centurion rank are 60 ranks. 60. The highest ranking was, was that over a cohort, which was 600 soldiers. And it appears when it says regiment, it appears that Cornelius actually was over 600 soldiers with a large administrative staff. The Jews hated being controlled by the Romans, and the Romans hated dealing with the Jews. As much as the Jews didn't like the Romans, neither did the Romans like the Jews, the Roman troops treated them with contempt. Though, not, though officially prohibited, it was not uncommon for Roman troops, soldiers, to oppress the Jews, assault them, and rob them. And the officers, if not doing the same, would turn a blind, blind eye away. So this was happening all the time. What an amazing contrast Cornelius is to the attitude of all these Roman soldiers. He was humble. He wasn't looking down at them contemptuously. He showed them courtesy. He showed them respect. And he adopted actually the God that they had, Rome had conquered. He believed in the God of the Jews. He was a devout man. Now that word devout means to show itself in activity. So he wasn't just this religious man with some robes on. He had actually a, a, a centurion. He had the, the army garb on. But in his heart, he was living out what he knew was right before God. So he was very kind, appreciative, respectful. It was not only the Jews that took note of Cornelius. In verse 4, it says, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. God noticed it. God saw it. Again, in verse 31, your alms have been remembered before God. God saw this man Cornelius. And there are many, many people that know there's a God. They know they should be living righteously, and they are. And God noticed that. And as believers, the Bible says, know this, that your works are not, God sees what you're doing. He sees it. And to that person that wants to be right with God, he brings along the gospel for them. So never think that what you do is not noticed by God. It is. All that you do. Cornelius is a godly example to his family. It says there in verse 2, one who feared God with all his household. And you got to believe that this man, I mean, I can't wait to meet him. A family man, respectful, appreciative. A man of faith who when he heard 
got this vision, go send for Peter. What does he do? He gets all of his friends and all of his relatives into his living room waiting for Peter to come. He said, hey, I'm got, God's going to be speaking, and I don't want you to miss it. And they came. In other words, he wasn't just speaking. They knew he had the substance. So when he calls them, yeah, Cornelius is calling, hey, we're coming. Now, if someone's faking it and everyone knows they're not the real deal, they probably won't come. They all came. But here's the deal. Cornelius was not yet a Christian. He was not yet a Christian. In Acts eleven fourteen, 14, that's recovery, uh, going over the same story. It says, Peter he said that Peter shall speak words to you, to Cornelius, by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So he was all these things, but he wasn't saved. He wasn't a Christian. So Cornelius was a good man, but being good is not enough for salvation. Cornelius was a religious man, but being religion is not enough for sal- religious is not enough for salvation. Cornelius had a good reputation, but having a good reputation is not enough for salvation. There are many people today who are not half the person Cornelius was, and yet they flatter themselves in their prospects for eternity looking pretty good. They're a good person. One of the, one of a, good, a question to ask people, do you consider yourself a good person? There's a good sort of opening line for talking to them about what God sees as far as our goodness before him. So Cornelius had heard about Jesus' earthly ministry. He's about to experience salvation. So number one, care about people. Secondly, listen and obey God. Listen and obey God. What's God saying about this matter? Partiality, prejudice. Listen and obey God. Look at verse three. About the ninth hour, which is three o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision Cornelius, an angel of God, coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he, when he observed him, he was afraid, and you would be too, <laughs> and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Now this is also would, would point to the fact that Cornelius had a high rank because you couldn't, uh, those low rank, he couldn't use their own per- soldiers for personal business. Well, he sends soldiers, his soldiers, to do personal business, which says he had a high rank. So, verse 8, when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, here's a fascinating thing. God is always working on both ends. He's always working on both ends. When you meet someone, know this, God's been working in their life, just as he is in yours. He brought you together, but he's working both ends of the thing. Verse 9, so listen, obey God. In other words, don't contradict the Lord in what he said. Verse 9, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, noon, it's lunchtime. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. What that, that is, I'm not sure, but he's ready to see a vision. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him saying, came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now here's the contradictory. 
Peter said, not so, Lord. You can't say that. Well, you can say it, but it doesn't make any sense. Not so, Lord. Now, what Peter said, and he says, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. He said, hey, I'm not like that. And that's often a problem with prejudice. I'm not like that. Now, three times in Peter's walk with Jesus, he contradicted the Lord. He said, now hold on a second, that shall never be, Lord. And that, that was a part of Peter's makeup. And so he said, not so, Lord. So don't contradict the Lord. Listen and obey him. Another thought, don't call them common and unclean. People, don't do that. Listen and obey God. He has a desire to see all men come to be saved, to know the knowledge of the truth. There's no one that God says, well, they're just sort of the riffraff. They're just the common. No, 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 no. They're all very important to God. So a voice spoke to him again. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Verse 15. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered, you got to love this story. While Peter's wondering, man, what was that? While Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. The Lord's timing is perfect. What does all that mean? Knock, knock, knock. And he's walking down the stairs. What does that mean? I'm trying to get it. And there before him are three men. He's starting to put it together a little bit. And let me say this, as it says there. Voice spoke to him. What God is, don't call cleanse, verse 15. This was done three times. The object was taken up, verse 17. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry. They're standing before the gate. They called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging them. While Peter thought about this vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Verse 20, arise therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Don't you love it? He's starting to get it. So don't doubt the Lord's command. Know this, if God brings someone into your sphere of influence, he sent them, every one of them. They're there because God put them there. They're there because your life is gonna rub up with their, against their life. And what he wants in their lives, is to experience something of who he is. So, don't contradict the Lord. Don't call them common or unclean. And don't doubt the Lord's command. I sent them to you, Peter. They're here because, now notice what happens. The third thing. Listen and be with them. Listen and be with them. Listen and invite them in. Notice what happens, verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Now, he still hasn't had a direct reason. He, he understands there's something going on here. And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then, notice, groundbreaking, he invited them in and lodged them. Peter's in process. So listen and invite them in, and then listen and go with them to their house. Go to them with their, where they work, where they live, where they do things. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So listen and be with them. Invite them in. Go with them to where they are, and then keep company with them while you're with them. 
be in their company. So verse 24, the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. And you gotta love this because Peter's learning. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I myself am also a man. That needs to be at the very center of our attitudes toward everyone. We are just people. Whoever me, they're not bowing for it. I'm no more special than they are. And the cross, the ground of the cross is level. I'm just a man. He lifts them up. Do you know, that's another thing that genuine caring for people does. It lifts them up. Brings them up right into where you are. And knowing that they're, they're accepted, they're valued, they're no different than you are. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. So the living room was packed. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to eat company with, with or go to, one another, to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection, that's obedience, as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? He's still trying to, why, why, why did you send for me? Because really, in his mind, back of the mind, there's no way. It's, he's not even thinking that God might be wanting to save these guys. There's something going on. And we have to wrestle through that. So, like, God wants to save that person? <laughs> so Cornelius said four days ago, and he goes through what happened. I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, three o'clock, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here. He's telling Peter, this is what happened on my end of things. When, whose surname is Peter, he's lodging in the house of Simon and Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I went to you immediately, and you have done well to come. I love this about Cornelius. He's appreciating what Peter's going through. You've done well that you've come. We talked last week about that whole, those two questions. We can say, well, what's wrong with you? Or we can say, what happened to you? And Cornelius is showing great respect and great appreciation. He understands this is groundbreaking. This is something no Jew would ever do. Peter, you've done it. I appreciate you coming in with your friends. I really appreciate that. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things that, that God told you. They're an open book. Speak to us. Now, the fourth thing is speak. Just speak all about Jesus. Keep him centered in the conversations. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That the word, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, they saw Jesus, he knew, Cornelius had seen it. He'd heard it, he'd been musings on it. And, he, and began from Galilee after the baptism, which John preached, verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So speak all about Jesus. Jesus is the one who went about doing good. Miraculous life. Jesus is the one who died and rose again for the remission of sin. Look at verse 39. And we are witness of all these, the things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, the crucifixion. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, 
but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from dead. Bodily resurrection. He ate and he drank. So Peter's saying, we were there. We saw it. He's talking about not only the death, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just speak all about Jesus. How good he is. All the things he did. His death for sin. His resurrection for justification. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. That's the gospel. Tell them all about Jesus. Speak about Jesus. Who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Now here's the fascinating thing here also. While Peter was still speaking, he wasn't done with his sermon. He wasn't done with what he was saying. While he's still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision, Jews, who believed were astonished. Groundbreaking. He's just telling about Jesus and the Holy Spirit falls upon these Gentiles in this house and they experience salvation. And because the gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues, magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid that these should be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? See, Jesus went about doing good. He died and rose again for the remission of our sins. He baptized in the Holy Spirit and he commands all who believe in him to be baptized in water. And so we go and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord and they asked him to stay a few days. They got saved. The gospel knows no boundaries of race, religion, creed, or culture. All are saved because God in his mercy made a bridge to cross over from death to life And that bridge is Jesus Christ. And that's what we bring as those who show no partiality. It's important to know that to the Jewish mindset, they were in their minds very special and all the others were proselytes, not quite as good, or Gentiles. That was their mindset. The Romans were no different. Their mindset was you're either Roman or you're a barbarian. That's it. Not one, you can't be, you're either Roman or you're a barbarian. Sometimes when I'm acting bad, I say, man, I'm a barbarian. (laughs) The word prejudice was originally a neutral word. It just meant to judge beforehand. But because the natural instinct of the human heart is to judge negatively, it became negative. And prejudice is not a good word because of the tendency most of the time to make wrong judgments, bad judgments, even evil judgments on what we see rather than what we know about them. Two ministers given to arguing about their respective faiths were in a very heated discussion. That's all right, said one calmly. We'll just agree to disagree. After all, we're both doing the Lord's work. You in your way and I in his. (laughs) There's an old story of a Republican political leader in Vermont who always showed up at Democrat rallies. He seemed to take grim pleasure in attending these gatherings somewhat to the discomfort of the assembled Democrats. His presence made their parties seem a little less homey. At last, one day, a Democrat leader asked the old fellow why he came to their meetings. Is it in your mind that you might get converted or something? Oh, no, said the Republican. Nothing like that. I'll tell you, I just come around your meetings so so as to keep my disgust fresh. (laughs) Now, we might chuckle, chuckle at that a little bit. But the realities of the pain of prejudice tempers that quite a bit. We're seeing in our nation 
Reminds me when Philip said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Or James and John said, should we call down fire on these Samaritans? And the attitude is there. It's all, all through. No partiality. We're not receiving them because of what they look like. Their countenance or how they look out outwardly. See, God doesn't estimate, approximate, or guesstimate about anyone. He knows all people, and he sent Jesus to reach all of them. God sees the heart. He knows all things, and he loves all people. And when you sort of, underneath all the exteriors, we're all the same. We're all the same. We all need to know God. We all have that innate need to be in relationship with God, being created in his image. We all need meaning and purpose in our lives. We all are seeking to know and be known. One of the great wrestling matches in everyone's life is to stand out as someone individual, but to blend in with someone in a group who is us. It's there, it's innate. We are all lost in sin and in need of a savior. Speak about Jesus. Peter's the perfect person to encourage us. We can change. Things can be different in our attitudes. Peter's the perfect guy. Because as I said, he, didn't, he contradicted the Lord. He was the guy that was impulsive. He was self-willed. Was he arrogant? Probably a little bit. Was he boastful and proud? Absolutely. Was he wrong? Many times. But here's the thing about the story that strikes me. Peter was teachable. He was teachable. So he cared about people. He listened to obey God. He listened to be with them. And then he talked to them all about Jesus. That's, in my mind, these four things are what I look at in this passage. Say, this is what I need in my life to see God work out of my own thinking processes and feelings. This whole area of partiality and prejudice. He was teachable. And what happened was revolutionary. I want to close this with a, with a little video clip, if, if you would. It's, the, it's from the, the uh, movie, Remember, don't, don't, don't start it yet, please. Remember the Titans. How many, not have you seen, but have you not seen this movie? Okay. So I want to preface a little bit for you. In Virginia, it's a true story about forced desegregation in the early 70s. In Virginia, high school football is a way of life, an institution revered, each game celebrated more lavishly than Christmas. Each playoff distinguished more grandly than any national holiday. Big stuff. And with such recognition comes powerful emotions. In 1971, high school football was everything to the people of Alexandria, Virginia. But when the local school board was forced to integrate an all-black school with an all-white school, the very foundation of football's great tradition was put to the test. Tensions are high when players of different races are forced together on the same football team. This clip takes place in a hospital where the defensive captain of the team lay paralyzed from a car accident he had the night they were celebrating the victory that gave them an undefeated season and then they were going to be going to the championship game. So this captain, Gary Brutier, real guy, He's, he, they're celebrating on this, on this final victory, undefeated season, ready to go to the championship game. He gets in a car accident and it leaves him paralyzed. So the paralyzed captain and a teammate, a close friend, whose name was Julius Campbell, who was black. Gary was white. This, this 
teammate of his who had become his friend, arrives at the hospital after this whole incident where he's paralyzed. His coach, Herman Boone, played by Denzel Washington, first meets him, this is what you're gonna see, first meets him in the lobby there of the hospital, and then walks over to, then he walks over to, to Gary's mom. Now, Gary's mom was opposed to her son, Gary, having a relationship with a black man. She was opposed to that. So she didn't want anything. So that, that's where we're going to pick it up here. And then she walks over to his mom, and we'll let the clip take us from there. How you doing, son? He ain't all right. He all right? He's, um, How's he doing? Not too good. Not too good. Now, how's he doing? How bad is it? How bad is it? He's paralyzed from the waist down. Don't say that to me. Don't say that to me. Sorry, Mr. Dear. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He doesn't want to see anybody but you, Julius. Yes, ma'am. You are strong. Yes, ma'am. Those tears are not going to make my boy walk again. Ken's allowed in here. Alice, are you blind? Don't you see the family resemblance? That's my brother. You should see my Camaro. Man, I sure am sorry, man. I should have been there with you. What are you talking about? You would have been in the bed right next to me. You can't be hurt like this. Afraid of you, Julius. I only saw what I was afraid of. And I don't know, I was only hating my brother. <laughs> I tell you what though. Um, when all this is over, and you gonna move out the same neighborhood together. Okay, and um we'll get old, we're gonna get fat. It ain't gonna be all this black-white between us. <laughs> Left side. Strong side. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you so much for you crossing that boundary of sin for us. Being the bridge back to God, reconciled, even though knowing all about us, you came when we were enemies, sinners, and you came to die on a cross to bring us back to God. We're thankful for that, Lord.
And as, our, as, as we're just keeping our heads bowed and eyes closed in prayer, I want to give anyone here an opportunity right now to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've heard the gospel. God's been knocking on the door of your heart. You haven't been quite ready to say yes to Jesus, but today, I want to give you that opportunity. Three simple steps. Raise up your hand so I can acknowledge that. Secondly, to stand up where you are, and the reason that's important is because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. And what happened with me, which what happened with, with us, as we battle through that decision, and we know it's a battle, that's why we're praying right now. As we battle through it, once we make that decision, we stand for Christ, being obedient to what we know is right, God solidifies that and he washes all of those excuses, all of those fears. He just removes them as we make that move to him. So not only confessing him so that people know, but confessing him because you know. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Then I'm going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables on either side. And that's where someone will be there to pray with you. The prayer of a sinner to a holy God. I know I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. You died on the cross for my sin. When I ask you to forgive me, wash me clean, fill me with your spirit so I'm born again, and then you will leave here as a completely new creation in Christ, born again by his spirit. So if that's you, and by the way, if that's you today, we're going to give it up for you in saying, Lord, thank you, because the angels in heaven will be going crazy. That one, another soul, precious in God's sight, that's you. Loved by God, that's you. Valued by him, that's you. Once another soul has come into relationship with God. So if that's you today, I'm just ask you to stick your hand up, raise it up so I can see it and keep it up for a moment so I don't miss it. Because I want to pray for you. We're praying. Maybe you're fighting that battle right now. We understand that. We're praying for you your relationship with God, your peace with God, your reconciliation with God. If that's you, just raise up your hand as we're praying. As we sing this last song, if you're wanting prayer, even after our day yesterday, if you want prayer today for any anything that's on your heart and mind, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a problem you have, that's what, that's what we have our prayer tables for. Very important. So while we're singing this song, not only are, I'm going to ask you, you can just walk up there now or after service, either way. We want to pray for you. We want to bring you before the Lord. But also as we sing this song, at some point during it, just to stand before the Lord. And I think appropriately today is just to say, Lord, thank you for doing for me through the gospel, bridging the gap, Give me, bring me back to you. Can we just worship the Lord in this last song with that on our hearts? And then I'll come up and I'll close this in prayer. Let's go for it.